our consideration of the moral attributes of God, we proceed with the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible? We have seen that the moral character of God is embraced in the words, God is love, by which we are to understand that God has chosen the pathway of benevolence or pure and perfect love as the guiding stone of all his activity, and that the great God is not living a self-centered or a self-interest life. When the decision was made by the Godhead to create this marvelous world in which we live, and the wonderful creature called man, who was created in the image of God, we are told, God has dealt with all his creatures in perfect love. As long as God maintains his moral character of love, certain things must be true of his life and conduct. One of these things we have seen to be truthfulness. And so the Bible has declared that God is perfectly true in all his assertions and in all his dealings. God himself has declared his own truthfulness. And we have seen that many times in the Bible, truthfulness is ascribed unto God. Then again, the Bible affirms that God in three persons is the source of all truth or the embodiment of truth. And we were in process of reading scriptures upon this great theme. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 9, we read, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So the moral light that the great God sheds upon the pathway of man is perfectly true. Then our Lord Jesus, as he passed through Samaria, met a certain lady, as they both had the need of drawing water from the well. He began to converse with her about the wonderful spiritual things that she could possess in her relationship to God if she would turn from her sin. In the fourth chapter of John's Gospel, verses 23 and 24, we have the record of our Lord's reply to her. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is perfectly natural, is it not? If God is living in truth, as the Bible overwhelmingly declares that he is, if we are going to have any association with the great God in a proper attitude of worship, we certainly must also be in the realm of truth. And so God is perfectly truthful, and he expects us to follow him and be reconciled to him and also live a life of perfect truthfulness. In the eighth chapter of John's Gospel and verse 32, we read from the lips of our blessed Lord these words, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So God is the source of all truth and imparts this truth to man if he is willing to receive the wonderful truth of God's grace. And our Lord Jesus said that this truth would set men free. 
In the 14th chapter of John and verse 6, we have a most blessed verse that came from the lips of our dear Lord a short time before his crucifixion. There our blessed Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. A very exclusive verse, is it not? He affirms that he is not one of the religious leaders of the earth, but he is the religious leader of the earth, if we may use that in an elevated sense. He is the Savior of the world and the only gateway to the presence of God. So he himself was the way or the pathway to God, and he himself was the incorporation of the truth of God upon the earth. And as he came forth from the Father to manifest the glorious realm of God's truth unto us, we may look to him as a final authority. In the 17th chapter of John, our blessed Lord is offering his high priestly prayer, and there the truth comes out that God is the source of sanctification by means of the truth. And in verse 17 we read, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And in verse 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So the marvelous truth that comes from God is the means of our sanctification, and God is the source of all truth. In the 18th chapter of John and verse 37, our Lord, during his unjust trial, uh, bore witness to that God was the source of all truth. And in verse 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. So our Lord Jesus claimed to be the exclusive, authoritative representative upon the earth as to the truth of the living God. And he came to bear witness of this truth, he declared. Then Pilate was very much under conviction, and he offered a great question, which has been thought of by many since his time. In the verse 38, Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Pilate was convinced of the innocency of our blessed Lord. But here is the great question, what is truth? And we're so glad that the Bible, the Word of God, reveals to us the character and being and thoughts of the great God in heaven, who is the source of all truth. And as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ as the manifestor of the truth of the living God, how glad and thankful we should be for his authoritative revelation unto us. Then in the third chapter of Romans, it is declared that God, as the source of truth, is to be the final authority. And certainly this is as we would expect, is it not? When we compare God's greatness 
and his profound intellect and understanding with our own very limited ability, certainly we do well to accept the truth as it is revealed from the living God. God forbid, the apostle wrote, Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. So if it's a question of choosing between the revelation of God and the ideas of men as to which the truth uh, is represented by, there should be no question that we will accept the revelation from the kind and loving hand of God, even though men, as we have contact with them, should be found to be in error. In the fourth chapter of Ephesians, we have the expression that the truth is in Jesus. In verse 20, But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and that ye be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So the truth is incorporated in Jesus, the apostle wrote. And at this time our blessed Lord had been raised from the dead after his atoning death for the sins of the whole world. And now he was the resurrected and glorified Christ, even as Stephen was given to see in during his dying moments, and even as the Apostle Paul was given a vision of the glorified and profound dignity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 8, we read that God is radiating forth the truth of his being in various ways. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth, the true light of the grace of God, the true light of the moral life of God and God's expectations of us as moral creatures having been created in his own image. In the fifth chapter of 1 John and verse 6, we read that the Holy Spirit is also said to be the essence of truth. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is truth, the Holy Spirit of God. The third person of the Trinity is expressly said to be truth, or the authoritative revealer of truth in this glorious gospel age. But in the third place, we notice from the Bible that all of God's works and dealings with men are said to be in truth. Is this not wonderful, as we so lack the confidence in many of our associates the great God in the heaven can be depended upon to act always in truth. In the 19th Psalm, in verse 9, we read, 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And in the 25th Psalm and verse 10, we read these words. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Of course, only those who are willing to walk in his truth will appreciate and be happy in the truth of the great God. In the 33rd Psalm, in verse 4, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. And the 69th Psalm, and verse 13, read these words. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord, in an acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of thy mercy hear me, in the truth of thy salvation. So there is an acceptable time to every one of us. That time is now, of course. And how we pray that many may turn from all falseness, recognize the truth and the love and the kindness of God, and by looking to the atoning death of Jesus in an attitude of repentance, salvation, glorious and wonderful, may be ours. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank Thee again for these scriptures which settle our hearts as we ponder them, because they tell us that Thou art the great and glorious, truthful God. How we thank Thee for Thy mercy. We pray that many may repent of sin, come to the cross of Jesus, and there be reconciled to Thee, the great God of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.